Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome, welcome to our first uh, really uh, with Tom and Dave live stream conversation. On it's very this, exciting. Yeah, this the day of the uh, congressional UAP hearing in Washington. Uh, I am the Dave of the of the Tom and Dave, uh, Dave Foley, and uh, as you can see uh, in the other window is Tom Wheeler. I'm the Tom part. In my undisclosed location. <laughs> yeah, you do look mysterious. Trying to add to the mood, just the mystery and the mood at all. Yeah, and the yeah. vibe is just a good UAP vibe going on. You got a bit of the the smoking man vibe from uh, right? X-Files. For That's those, what I'm going for. I don't know how often we saw him in a, like a denim shirt, but maybe when he went out usually, at night. Yeah, usually a nice conservative suit. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And I but, quit uh, smoking, thank God. But um, but thank you. I do. I I want to have that air of mystery. And um, we are, this is, uh, you know, we had to go live because today was the uh, the hearings, uh, the subcommittee of the House on national, national Security. And there were superstar uh, guests uh, that, that came to speak that were, this was mind-blowing. So we we had to be joined by an expert and uh, and we and we certainly scored on that front. So let me uh, I will introduce our guest and, and then do. our guest and he will then uh, join us. Earl Gray Anderson is MUFON state director of Southern California. And for those of you who are not steeped in UFO lore, what is MUFON? Well, MUFON is the oldest and largest UFO organization in the world. And the only one that has a corporate office with a full-time staff uh, as a distinguished board of directors, publishes the MUFON UFO Journal, 
holds an annual international UFO symposium to educate the public, has a membership of over 4,000 people, has a computerized UFO management system with over 100,000 UFO cases, and uh, a structured field investigator training program with more than 600 active field investigators, a nationwide response team for high-value investigations known as the STAR team, uh, trained underwater dive team, has its own television show on the History Channel called Hangar One, and its own subscription channel, MUFON TV, which may be included with one's membership to MUFON. And so uh, Earl is a MUFON STAR team member, as well as an executive committee member of MUFON's ERT, and that's the Experiencer Resource Team. And in his work with MUFON, Earl has closed a plethora of high strangeness cases, one of which was presented as one of MUFON's cases of the year, the 2021 Symposium. And this year, Earl hosted the Experiencer Workshops for MUFON's 2022 Denver Symposium, as he will be doing for the 2023 MUFON Symposium. And he feels the Experiencer phenomenon is the beating heart of ufology. And um, we are uh, thrilled to have Earl on uh, with us. And let's welcome him to Really. Hey, guys. How are Hello, you doing, Earl. Earl? How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing well. Yeah. Oh, and we left out has he also has a glorious beard, uh, <laughs> and a mellifluous voice. So thank you for for bringing both of those to the uh, to the to our stream today. My it's great to have you, sir. And on what a, a historic day! I mean, I you know we've been doing the podcast for a few you know you know months now. Dave's been been researching this for a few years, but. You've been in this game for a bit. Is this how validating was this for you just to see this event take place? It was validating. <laughs> I'll say, I mean, I've I'm I'm I've got a little bit of cynicism when it comes down to officialdom and disclosure and people are always asking me when's disclosure going to happen and I'll usually just say, well, it already did, 2017, with right. Leslie King's article and, you know, about the whole Tic Tac thing. But, uh, you know, I was kind of telling people, now don't get too excited. You know, I mean, the first congressional hearing, they, they had the, the, the Fitzpatrick gentleman uh, who was kind of playing the devil's advocate and, tamping everything down and and i just kind of figured it was going to be like that again today but nope it was actually very very good very forthcoming yeah, very substantive um and and i think and probably i'm i'm guessing for people who weren't who were coming to it uh as a blank slate i'm i can't even begin to imagine how much information that was to absorb and how oh, mind-blowing yeah. it would be we got um, a lot to cover we got yeah. a lot to cover on it because i mean my i was like in comparison like to, as you said, the NASA hearing, for example, was, you know, they they did a thing which is a little bit of a snoozer and Kirkpatrick goes out there and sort of just yeah. dispels all hope of, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we don't really have any proof of anything is really what he said, which is yeah. so, you know, blatantly. This was WrestleMania. I mean, as a hearing, this was a, a, a kind of just fireworks going off in all directions. Um, and I, I'm just curious what you. What are some of your guys' favorite moment? Like, what, what, what were you most shocked to hear? I guess. Uh, I think that you know, <clears throat> some of the people that were asking questions, like uh, Ocasio Cortez, and 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 uh, yeah, and of course, you know, we know that Burchett is has been, you know, from from Tennessee, is 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 had this interest 
in the phenomena. So I kind of expected that he was going to, you know, ask good questions. But when they go into talking about actual bodies and uh, crash materials and uh, intact craft that apparently we have, I mean, that meme has been out there for many, many years. Right. But uh, this is the first time where I've seen the rubber kind of hit the road on it. And, and uh, wow, we, we may actually get some interesting information uh, yeah. up forward here. So I know, especially <laughs> that, cause I know I, I know I've, I, I was slow to accept the, the notion of uh, recovery programs and reverse engineering programs that were ongoing. Mm. Um, uh, and even though I've been hearing about them for a while, but to mm. yeah, to get it stated that bluntly was pretty uh, startling. Although I, I, although I was lucky, I've, I've had some, I've had some prep for about almost a year now that this was coming. So, Chuck mm. Schumer, I mean, the way that this amendment is written that he put out there, um, because you know historically, the I, I think the way that they've been able to keep things secret all this time is, is that they've farmed this stuff out to uh, independent uh, aerospace companies, right? Which mm -hmm. industrial military complex, the definition of pretty much, but you can't put a request, you know, a freedom of information request. And in if it's a private company like that. And so nobody's had to pony up anything up until now. And the way that this amendment is written they have to, you know, they have to bring these materials and craft uh, to Congress mm -hmm. or else prison terms and, and horrible, uh, you know, fines are up ahead for these guys. Yeah. And they're also dra dragging it out of the uh, Department of Energy exemption, um, mm, yeah. which was the other place where they, they managed to bury stuff for so long. Because the, our <laughs> atomic secrets, if you hide it with our... You bury this with our atomic secrets, then you can't get a FOIA uh, request well, I, in there. And you bring up Schumer. I, I, let's talk about that because Schumer is the Democratic majority leader of the Senate, and yet you have this House hearing, which is run by Republic. You know, is headed by Republicans, and and the House is Beautiful. obviously Republican. And politics aside, it is, I think, truly worth emphasizing and putting exclamation points on the fact that this was one of the most, I was trying to think, I was like, maybe there was a hearing with Mr. Rogers where there was more bipartisan comedy and, and kind of kindness and compliments back and forth. Like that was stunning to me that you have the bomb throwers of Congress. You've got Gates, you've got AOC, you've got Jamie Raskin, you've got, you know, and you've got <laughs> all of them typically on a daily basis are just volleying grenades at each other. And I was waiting for, I was like, who's going to like, who's going to pick that kind of partisan moment to kind of throw water on this or who's seeing like, and to a person almost entirely the approach was serious kind of grave um bothered they clearly believed in and uh, and obviously these the 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 people at the hearing grush favor and and graves were all had to be screened right they had to be 
the, everyone could vote on them. They had been they had been kind of tested, put up against all sorts of you know investigative uh, to anything to clear out anyone with any issues. So they obviously took these these three witnesses incredibly seriously, and their questions were I just jaw dropping. Their questions were jaw dropping. I mean, when AOC is saying like, wait, so who, where, where's, what's the address? of the place where the ship is. <laughs> Crush is like, I know the address. I will tell you in the closed setting. And of course you're like, oh shit, man, I want to hear it. But it, they were all like, where's the skiff? Like open it, like, let's go. Like it, it, it was really, uh, it was incredible to see. It was just, it was disclosure. I mean, disclosure was happening. Was. I, was, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm just sort of like, what were, what yeah. compares, what compares historically to this hearing nothing yeah nothing ever and i gotta ask you the most transparency that we have seen on this subject ever Mm -hmm. officially that that, that's i mean i I, i've been looking back you know kind of racking my brain trying to think of anything comparable and there really isn't anything comparable you know um it was it was extraordinary mm-hmm. and i'm i'm really because you um one of the functions of mufon i think i'm maybe i'm wrong but i think one of them is that um you you provide uh an ear to people who have had experiences and uh an acceptance uh for people who feel um maybe marginalized or even traumatized sometimes by their experiences uh, and so today must feel like a huge kind of, uh, uh, a version of that where they where suddenly we're getting this on mass, uh, acknowledgement for all of the people. Like I'm sure the people that you've been dealing with over the years, especially in your experiencer group, I mean, this must be such a, such a balm to the soul for them. Yes. It's catharsis, you know, for people experience deciding or, or even, from that, for those who have had face-to-face uh, experiences with with beings, uh, forever and ever, they've been treated like like. I mean, this is the way that that the government decided to deal with the UFO phenomena was by ridicule, bring out your top scientists, and more or less call these people crazy. Um, so, I mean, it's been so ingrained in our society that, that, you know, if the subject would come up on any news program, unequivocally, you would hear the X-Files theme and little green men, you know, and, and, and rolling of eyes and giggle factor and all this it's gone. I mean, this was treated with the proper amount of deference and seriousness that, uh, that it's deserved since 1947 and earlier. Mm-hmm. It was quite astounding. I was trying to think of, of in the same way that you were like, what, what could have, I, I can't think of any congressional, I can't think of any hearings or committee hearings on this. Um, I can remember what, there was a press conference in the 50s with a bunch of military officials that were talking about the UFO swarm around Washington, yeah. D.C., which seemed like there was there was a very, you know, that seemed to anniversary be. Anniversary of that today, by the is way. It today today that, is the day that that yeah. happened. The, the, over, the... The, the flyover of Washington, D.C., the second one, there was one a week before 
and then the uh-huh. second one just just to get their point across i think uh, our, mm-hmm. our visitors came back and yeah. and that today is the anniversary of that and this is so july 26th yeah because on that event uh you have you had pilots basically telling a similar story to what David Fravor told today of going up to try and try and engage these, whatever they were. And they were able to just disappear. Just they, you know, uh, and then, or they were able to surround a fighter pilot and then, uh, (laughs) you know, and then, and then when, you know, when he was trying to got to the point of, do I fire or do I, what do I do? Then they were, you know, they let him go. Um, So there was, you know, they got that, their point across. Yeah, that <laughs> that clear dis, that clear display of supremacy in the air yeah. uh, that happened in fifty two and uh, happened uh, again. Yeah, two thousand and four. How, how yeah. great is Fravor? I got to say, like how it was such a like three great witnesses. Like Fravor is such a like has no. There's just no airs about like he's not claiming to own any mystery. Like he's really seems like just and uh, they were all great but his his kind of yeah. down to earth like you know do whatever you want with it like and don't exaggerate and just tell them what's there and it's like i you know and it's like i didn't want to be here and all of it was just <laughs> mm-hmm. very, you know it was you could tell that the you know you just could tell they were having an impact on the people on the committee in real time like in real time you could just see this sinking in you could sense their feelings of duty to this and a sense that clearly they've already seen more. It was interesting. Matt Gates was going on about right. All this stuff he had seen uh, kind of on his own or been shown separately. I, I was trying to follow that. He's not even on the committee. He was there. He was just a guest mm-hmm. um, and uh, not a fan personally, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm still trying to, I'm happy to have harmony, like let them all kumbaya and talk about this and agree on the stuff. So I think hats off to all of them. I salute their uh, diplomacy on the issue. And I think that is uh, pray. I pray that as the media interest inevitably grows snail like as it is, you know, um, and, and still ridiculously behind the events. I hope that the bipartisan energy continues when the cameras get hotter and the lights get hotter and everything, that the attention grows and it doesn't sort of turn into camps because it obviously is, requires that kind of, it requires that sort of uh, partnership, right? I mean, it's, if, if this becomes a red blue thing, we're, we're, we're fucked respect. Oh yeah. Excuse my language, but mm. <laughs> that's good to know. I can, I can use, uh, I'll let them fly or yeah. I'll, yeah. Let them fly. <laughs> yeah. But okay, the, I can don't, quote don't feel exactly like, what my wife said. So. Yeah. Don't but feel anyway. like you have to be as big a potty mouth as Tom though. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't help it. I get excited. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, to see AOC and Matt get there in the same room and not, you know, like beating on each other verbally, in, in the, the partisanship thing. I mean, this is the first time that, that we've seen these guys, you know, work across the aisle with each other on a subject. Um, and, and how strange and how how delightful. Mm-hmm. If if this is what actually gets us to stop demonizing each other and 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 you know, <laughs> you know, I, I mean 
ETs, you know, if they can yeah. bring us together. And, and I think that, you know, there is a desire in our d- visitors to see. Uh, I think that, that the way that we war with each other is perplexing. Um, because here we are, our technology is way up here, but we're still fighting each other, literally warring, you know, between countries at times. But also just the personal wars that we fight with each other just because of political ideals. And uh, wow, I, I just really hope that uh, this is contagious, that it spreads, and that maybe this will get us to to work together. And 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 you know, yeah, I think maybe we're getting people. a little a little proof of concept of the scenario that Reagan put forward yes. at the UN many years ago. You know, what if uh, humanity was confronted by an alien presence? Would mm. we would we forget our differences? And we're seeing that amongst people who maybe have the strongest differences in the country in that room today. Um, They're diametric opposites. AOC and Matt Gates are diametrically opposite. And and we all know that, but there they were, you know, same team and and wanting disclosure. And that's amazing. I I didn't foresee this. I I had no idea that it would be like that today. And it was wonderful. It makes me so curious about what led to these hearings and and why that energy exists. I, I mean, I guess it doesn't I don't think everybody was play acting. In other words, I feel like the people and I what I mean is I, I feel like the people on the committee don't already know the answers to their questions, or at least most of them don't know the answers to their questions. So there is there clearly is I, I it, to me, my gut told me they were legitimately curious and legitimately in the dark about some of this, a lot of this stuff. Um, and yet there, do we think it's just the seriousness of the issue? I I guess I'm just, I mean, it's, it's, I'm just curious what you're, what you both think about the, like, how did that happen? How did they not go into their immediate roles and just start deciding, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is a red issue or there's more tracking on it on red on Fox than on CNN. Yeah. So, but that's not happening. Like the, the, no. the, the Dems aren't, aren't just dismissing it and saying, okay, well, we'll be the science people and you guys are all great. That wasn't <laughs> happening. And that's kind of what I was a little afraid might happen. What do you think that is? How did that happen? I think it's the most important uh, thing. It, it's it's so beyond just our personal political battles that we are not alone. There's another intelligence there, and that it's interacting with us. and And that's the most important thing to me, other other than God, maybe you know, that 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 that. You can really think about it. It's a personal thing. It, it, I mean, you know, you look up at the night sky now, you're going to look whoever you are. If you're aware of what went on and the things that were said and were talked about, you're going to look at that much, much differently than you did before. Um, it's just, yeah. to, but I think that this, that it's that deep of an issue. It's a personal issue for people. Um, so I think that that's, probably what what caused that happen doesn't matter what your background is what your political stripe is what your you know it's it's very very deep yeah and i think the people um the people who are writing legislation 
um, people like like Chuck Schumer and uh, Kristen Gillibrand, uh, and the people who organized this hearing. Uh, I, I posted something yesterday about it, but that, that we're in a sense seeing a negative impression of the confidential information that they already have. So as I said, it's like yes. you know, like we're we're seeing the footprint, and they've seen the foot. Mm. Yeah. Um. And they're and so everything we can we can we can draw inferences about what um whether it's you know uh Burchett or Marco Rubio or or uh, Chuck Schumer we can draw inferences about what information they have based on um the actions they're taking. Hmm. Um. They mentioned in the in the here about you know uh, and again you know it's I mean so the people the presidents that have seen UFOs Ronald Reagan Jimmy Carter um, George W Bush was the head of the CIA and and it's it's kind of known that he was in the know he knew about this stuff um, the Clintons of course. John Podesta, there, there was that great interest there, and some, you know, that it's, it's kind of well known that that Hillary Clinton sort of wanted to be the disclosure president. That was something mm -hmm. she wanted to do. You know, there was an interest there with her husband for the same thing. You know, apparently the first thing he asked when he got in office is, you know, bring me the files on UFOs, bring me the files on the JFK assassination. So that interest was there. Now Harry Reid. Uh, he's the guy that that acquired the twenty two million dollars that funded, uh, you know, the NIDS, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch uh, investigation that the Congress was was actually aware of and, and supported. Um, and of course, you know, sadly, we lost Harry Reid uh, a, a couple years ago. But Chuck Schumer was a very close friend of Harry's, and and so he's carrying on that work. So you got you know you look at this with you know these people they, they have been read into a lot of these um, uh, you know the the saps you know the the programs that the rest of us can't can't read about. Uh, so, you know, I think that it's finally just coming to the surface. The toothpaste is out of the tube. There's no way to put it back in. Now they just have to deal with how do you tell the public this and not cause panic? Uh, yeah, that's their yeah. big concern and, and not share technology that may, you know, uh, that, that may empower our, our enemies in the world. Right. I mean, I understand what the concerns are, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, my mom worked in officialdom and, and very early on. And I heard about this when I was a little kid, you know. I mean, my mom kind of did a little disclosure number with me and she wasn't supposed to. Mm -hmm. But she told me emphatically, she said, and she wanted to, you know, she didn't repeat herself. She was very concise about things that she said. She said, Earl, they will never, ever, ever ever tell the public about this and i asked her i said why this was back in 1977 after we went to see star wars my mom started you know one of the few times where she kind of broke her ndas you know non-disclosure agreements what what was mom's job or yeah let's back that up a company little, yeah, yeah let, let's, let's sure yeah. um let's, let's find mom. out how you got into this deal <laughs> or all let's, you know, yeah. let's get to it it's generation 
Yeah, you, uh, you you share that a little bit with uh, with our friend Paul Hynek. Uh, mm-hmm. that you've kind of grown up with this issue. Yes. Uh, but tell, the, us, like, yeah, tell Paul, us about who your mom worked for. My mom was one of Howard Hughes's private secretaries. She worked uh, out here at Hughes Aircraft over, uh, you know, you see Howard Hughes Parkway and all that, you know, in, in Los yes. Angeles. But uh, she, she worked for Hughes and uh, they used to, they used to communicate. He, he was already a germaphobe. This is like 1955 or so. So they would communicate like Charlie's angels with a little intercom system. So my mom only saw him in person one time, although she, her office was right next to his, but yeah. Anyway, apparently he trusted my mom. My mom was very good. She had a knack for telling when somebody was lying or not. She was very good at that. And I, that was a real problem when I was a teenager. <laughs> but anyway, my mom said that, you know, that they didn't tell her where they were taking her. They sent her on a little assignment uh, with a security detail. She didn't tell me where this happened. This was 1963 when my mom told me the story, by the way. I was five years old. And I remember it really, really well. Made quite an impact on me. She said that they took took me out to the desert, and there were a couple of security guys with me, and there was nothing there except this, this shack. It was a concrete bunker. It's kind of low slung to the ground with a door, nothing else, no windows, no other features, no signage, you know, didn't say extraterrestrial highway or anything like that. Um, and so they took her into this building, and there was an elevator. Uh, so she got in with the elevator with these guys. She thought it might go down a floor or two. And she said it just kept on going. And she said that, that the doors opened up, you know, a mile down that the doors opened up finally. And she said, there was a little city down there. You know, there were these guys that lived down there pretty much a lot of rocket scientists, German rocket scientists. So I think this was probably a part of the operation paperclip uh, where we acquired uh, we acquired so many of the German rocket scientists that Russia did. We kind of divvied them up. Uh, she said that uh, the door opened up and there was a little city under the desert that they got around in golf carts. Uh, she said they had little cafes down there. They had a movie theater. They had a bowling alley. Uh, she said that they had a barber shop, but the guy knew how to do her hair for her. Because she liked to have her hair permed. So uh, apparently people were staying down there for long periods of time. And so she told me this crazy story. You know, it's 1963, Venice, California. Um, and then she kind of, uh, at the end of the conversation, almost like an afterthought, she said, oh, by the way, son, um, UFOs, flying saucers, that's a real thing. And we know that we're not alone in the universe. Uh, we've already made contact that there is extraterrestrial life out there. Uh, and I grew up with that, you know, <laughs> and that's, I guess that's a lot on a, for a five-year-old to absorb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She talked about it a couple of times. Um, but then horror of all horrors, when I was in fourth grade, uh, I started really getting interested in this. You know, I was really thinking about what my mom told me. And we had, like, what do your parents do? Show and tell Fridays, right? So I went up 
And I told my dad's story, you know, and then I told my mom's story, my mom. And I just told them what I told you. And by the way, UFOs and, and extraterrestrials are real. So the teacher uh, the, and, and now the teasing factor happened with me. This is when I started getting laughed at. People would mm. do, you know, the, my favorite Martian, you know, antennae behind me and stuff. You know, and there's a lot of teasing. So uh, the teacher called my mom in and uh, I'll never forget the drive home. We're, we're driving home and my mom was very, very quiet. And then she says, Earl, you can't ever, ever, ever talk about what I told you about the little city under the desert and UFOs, for God's sakes. And she keeps, you know, she's trying to drive the car. You know, it was maybe just a mile away to get home. But then she turns around. She looks at me. She says, my God, how did you remember that you were just to be, <laughs> but I did, you know, I mean, it just, and I do have a good memory. I mean, my first memory is from when I was like three years old, when we were in a car accident, not as good of a memory. Uh, but my mom, then she proceeded to say, she said, if you, you can't ever talk about this, people don't know about little cities under the desert. They don't know about UFOs. And your mom wasn't supposed to tell you this. It's a secret. And then she looked at me and she said, your mom could go to prison if you ever talk about this again. Wow. First up, that's amazing leverage to have over your mother. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I used it. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want, I want to stay up late tonight, mom. Maybe I, you know, <laughs> maybe my lips get a little loose. Yeah. I'm getting on the horn. That beats my first grade Santa Claus disclosure story, which I caught absolute hell for from teachers and parents coming in yelling at me, but that, that the secret city is better. And the, you, you know, the, and the fear of prosecution indeed oh. higher stakes than, yeah. than Santa. I had a guy from the DOD uh, because you kind of meet interesting people when you, you know, state director of MUFON. Uh, but this one gentleman told me, you know, I've read your mom's file and we knew about you. Your mom actually reported on herself when you went and you gave your little speech at wow. school. <laughs> yeah. wow. wow! And then he said, you know, you can be very proud of your mother. She didn't lie to you. And she was a she was a patriotic American. And you can be very proud of her. And okay. it's like, well, can you read me a little bit more? It's like, mm -hmm. nope. Sealed. <laughs> so know. she wasn't. She wasn't offering you up for prosecution. No. 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 Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> was she? But she. After, you know, I think she was afraid that word would get back, and that she. Yeah. She was. She was patriotic, and she believed in what she was doing. She thought it was the right thing. Did she, she work went for on the to DOD? Headhunter for aerospace. I don't know what three acronyms she was working for. As far as I know, you know, it was Hughes aircraft but i'm sure that they went in there i mean i know that her security clearances were up through the roof because she was proud of that you know on her bed she you know she again reiterated that uh you know i've kept my security clearances through all these years and i'm very proud of it she got my ex-mother-in-law uh a job at the fbi actually or she got she my my and she was already my ex-mother-in-law, but she knew about my mom through, you know, my ex-wife. And uh, 
she wanted she needed to get uh, security clearances because she wanted to work with the FBI, which she she wound up doing. So I, she said, do you think your mom could help me? I don't even know how to proceed with that. You know, it's just out of my orbit. So my mom, you know, makes a few phone calls. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm getting a call from my ex-ma-in-law saying, thank you very, very much, Earl, and thank your mother again for me because uh, I got the job at the FBI. <laughs> wow. It's very nice of her. With the, sometimes the mother-in-laws don't get along quite that well, particularly mm. in the ex situation. So that's she was a very she was a, that's a good person right there. I, there's something you said that I found really interesting, which, which is what is the DOD MUFON communication like? What is that uh, exchange like? How has that come up for you? And and what are some what can and you it, tell us about has that? It, has it evolved? <laughs> has it evolved? significantly in the last few years i imagine i'm sure i mean i know that they i'm they're very interested in in mufon and we they you know there's probably people in mufon that have that connect but i i i don't know who or what we're not against the government we're not you know uh you know that that's the way i feel i mean i've told people before let me know if I'm saying stuff I'm not supposed to say. You know, I never signed any non-disclosure agreements, but I, I don't want to, you know, harm my, my country for God, mm -hmm. national security. So far, nobody's told me to shut up. So I keep on doing what I do. <laughs> do you have a, a reporting mechanism? I mean, or is there something yes. like in, in terms of your casework or, you know, um, something that require like you guys got to check this out? I mean, what? What is that like? You mean, uh, I'm not sure if I understand the question. You mean do, for the person the on the street? Well, I'm just wondering, oh. for, does does MUFON report to the government citing, significant sightings, or is there somebody you speak to? Is that something that yes. you consider an important part of the of the mission? Yeah. Well, well we've been meeting in, in a secured uh, skiff. Uh, it's, it began, apparently it was quarterly. And from what I hear <laughs> from headquarters is it's, it's ramped up a little bit. Uh, and I think it's probably David McDonald, you know, some of the people that were, you know, the leaders at MUFON, but yeah, the, there's been transparency with us and sharing cases, uh, because of this great interest. And I think we saw the culmination and the fulfillment of that today. Ho hopefully that's just the first note of, of you know, the following symphony, you know, that we're going to see a lot yeah. happen. Yeah. And when we were talking earlier, you thought they, they might have been referencing a case that you that you closed mm -hmm. recently. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. I would love to. I have to redact names and stuff because I don't want to, the guy is still a pilot, you know, working for a major airline. Uh, but I, I had this case, uh, it was uh, six, seven months ago. And uh, in, in this commercial flight, they, it was it was over uh, Santa Cruz Island here, you know, the Channel Islands. Mm -hmm. And they saw uh, this, this UFO that was, they call it the racetrack UFO. And it had been reported by some other pilots. And it was very interesting. It was up in, up in low Earth orbit. And it was doing sort of like the circular oval kind of uh, flight pattern. And that was the thing that he was reporting because it was local and it, was, it had just happened. And 
it, it was interesting. It was a good case where radar hits on it, and there were two other uh, two other jet uh, commercial jets that reported it as well. But then he started mentioning that he, well, that wasn't the first sighting I ever had. I'll, I'll just read from his from his uh, report. This is his own words. Um, he said, um, my initial sighting was on February 12th, 2005. We were flying at 39,000 feet elevation out of, uh, back to Honolulu, Hawaii. These guys were coming from Japan. It's a JAL flight. Apparently there were three of us, myself, the co-pilot and our flight engineer. I'm, I have to redact their names. I don't want to get anybody in trouble here. Uh, I'm retiring next year. I've noticed that the airline I currently work for seems to be backing off from warning us not to review UAP sightings. So I decided to put in a MUFON report on this. Uh, on, uh, I was piloting, piloting a DC-10, Flight 58, for Japan Air Charter Airlines, a subsidiary of JAL. We were flying out of Fukuoka, Japan. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Back to Honolulu. I'd flown this route many, many, multiple times. So I'd never did anything that I couldn't explain before this happened. I, in fact, I didn't believe that UFOs were a real thing. But at 14.21, Zulu time, in the early morning, past the international line, you could just see a little fingernail of blue at the horizon line, but everything else was pitch black. We were cruising along when the next thing you know, something catches my eye right around 10 o'clock off the nose of the aircraft, 30 degrees azimuth. I saw something. At first, just a flash of light, light reflecting off of something. But then I saw it and I pointed it out to my crew members. and I said, what the hell is that? Uh, the pilot said, what? And I pointed directly at what I saw and said that. Sure enough, there were three huge, and I mean huge, disks that had come up into the upper atmosphere, glinting the sun off of their surfaces far above the horizon line. I mean, they were so far up, they were technically still in space. They hadn't really entered atmosphere yet. And when you're up at 39,000 feet, you can see stuff. For instance, when the space shuttle did their tether experiment, we could see that happening from up there. Anyway, Objects were very large because they were at least 100 miles away from it. I would estimate that each silver disc must have been a good couple hundred feet across, and that's downsizing, if anything. No surface features that you could see, no bubble on top, just three metallic discs glinting the sun. They were in a tight equilateral triangular formation. There weren't any lights on them that I could see, just their mirrored surfaces unwavering like chrome, reflecting back the light from a high altitude, basically. We watched them, and as they came in, they stopped. And you could see them reorient themselves, so the exact same distance from each other. They sat there for around 10 seconds like that, hovering in a tight triangular pattern. And when the UFOs took off, they didn't have to accelerate to speed. They just took off instantaneously at an incredible, at an incredible speed. And they shot off down past the horizon line so you couldn't see them. Now, it was bizarre. You know, we're used to accelerating up to speed, but these objects left suddenly all at once. And if I hadn't been looking at them, I would have thought that they had just blinked out of existence, disappeared. But no, you could see them shoot off together, but just at an unimaginable speed. A flight crews come and go. I don't really keep in touch with past crews I've worked with. But the three of us sort of bonded over having seen this. We stay in touch as 
witness something that they say does not exist. But we saw this with our own eyes. It changed the way that I look at the stars at night, changed the way that I look at everything. Wow. And they mentioned uh, during the hearings that uh, there were, were flight crews that, that had seen uh, UFOs in that pattern from Japan to Hawaii. I haven't ever received any other cases similar to that. I, I mean, I've had lots of pilot sightings, but that was the only one that I've heard of from Japan to Hawaii. And since it was a recent case and they've been taking these cases to, to Congress, I'm, I'm kind of figuring that that was the case that they were referencing today. And it's a Did good they have? Oh, it's a good one. Did they happen to get <laughs> any visual anything? Uh, were they? It's before iPhones and all that stuff. But what I do have is, is a photograph of the log book, uh, which I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I write a, a, a regular column for Outer Limits magazine, which is a British, uh, British mag. And that was, interestingly enough, that was my submission for this month's uh, column. I just submitted it maybe four days ago, and and they're 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 talking about this in, at the hearings today, which I, that that seems to be one of about. yeah totally, and and that seems to be one of the areas that they need now to augment is commercial pilot reporting, right? Because mm -hmm. it's basically like the local cops wherever <laughs> I don't know who the local cops are when you're flying from Honolulu or you know Japan to Honolulu or who you call you know the Coast Guard, I guess, but. <laughs> they don't seem to have that mechanism to, you know, get just get reporting. I, I mean, to go just to the hearing for a second, there was this laundry list of things that the chairperson, I know Burchette was talking about, like, well, obviously this will lead to legislation. Obviously, this is just the beginning. Obviously, we're going to do multiple hearings. Mm -hmm. um, what do we what do we think? What do we think comes next? Earl, what do you think is most needed in terms of, uh, you know, uh, reporting or where do you feel the need is most right now? I think that the, the greatest need right now, because now we have the story, the general populace has this story, you know, and, and maybe they are four, but, but it was just, you know, on some silly radio show or, you know, science fiction or whatever, but now this has been officiated and, and taken seriously by Congress. Uh, so I, what I'm hoping is, is that uh, they're able to get some of these insiders that are being on these, uh, on, on these special access uh, programs that are, you know, black programs or, you know, the public doesn't know about it. Most of the people in government don't know about yeah. it. 60% of the military budget unaccounted for, right? They, they talked about that today and that's, this is what it is. Uh, and so I'm hoping that they're able to get people now that, that have had uh, hands-on uh, firsthand witnesses who have seen the bodies. I, I hope we get that. I hope we get photographs. I hope we get videos. We know they're sitting on video after video after um, the, the, they've been doing that forever and ever. And now we don't want the public to be afraid and, and there's, they're going to have to take care in how they present this so that it doesn't become something where, where people are, are, 
you know, people just tend to think the worst, you know, that could happen. Right. And, and they become alarmists. And so they're going to have to be careful how this is divulged to the public. But I think that we need to know. Uh, I, you know, I hope that after this, that we're not going to see any more of our made, you know, well-known scientists coming out and making fun of UFOs or laughing at witnesses. And um, so that's what I hope happens is now I hope that there's a reveal where people can have eyes on and and can see uh, the actual materials, bodies and else what. Mm -hmm. Feels like there also needs to be, uh, I know you do a lot of work with experiencers. Um, uh, one of our upcoming episodes, a dear friend of mine had a cr- chilling, traumatic, fascinating experience. Um, and it feels like these people have been completely sort of shut out um, because it's 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 so personal it's too you know it's too crazy or whatever you know and and in the meantime people have been through something really traumatic and the more public disclosure that takes place the closer you get to this realization that oh my head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the award-winning movie poor things starring emma stone mark ruffalo and willem dafoe Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Yeah, this is, these people, uh, this, this is, uh, it becomes even more, the awareness grows that this happened yes. to people or is happening to people, more people than we probably can believe or understand or comprehend. Um, what do you think, what do you think would be the, the best outcome for them? Or, or how do you think this hearing could possibly help people who are experiencers? Just that the ridicule factor is tamped down. You know, the Robertson panel, they convened in 1953 uh, after the, the July 26th, uh, you know, flyover of, of the White House. Uh, they, they convened, you know, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with it in public? And, and it was unequivocal. What they came up with was ridicule them, bring out our top scientists and and tell everybody that what, you know, that this is impossible and just make them look foolish. Let, you know, make people think that, that people who have had encounters are are crazy. And so I hope now that, that this will, that the people see that this is, is serious business. And, and, you know, I mean, what, I mean, I don't think that our visitors are here to do air shows and show off their technology. Uh, that's not what this is about. Uh, and I think that uh, this the, the contact 
uh, thing. You know, my, my great mentor at MUFON is Kathleen Martin, and her uh, her aunt and uncle were Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, that oh, was wow. the first well-known, uh, just full-on abduction story that ever, it was in Look Magazine. <laughs> I remember yeah. aunt brought the magazine over for my mom. It was like 1967, I think, when it came out. So, of course, m- myself and my three cousins were out playing, like we were playing Lost in Space or something. I remember we had like the little space monster toys in the backyard. And we and we hear this, this kind of noisy conversation coming from the kitchen. So we sneak up there and we're doing this number, trying to listen to what, you know, my mom and their mom were, were arguing about. Well, she had brought the Look magazine over and it had the, the Hill story about the abduction. And uh, we kind of got, we, we were listening, uh, like in the middle of the conversation, and my aunt is telling my mom, well, this can't be true. She said, it's just like bad science fiction. They say that they stuck a needle on this woman's navel. Now, I, I turned to my older cousin. I said, what's a navel? You know, and he's like, <laughs> belly button, shut up, shut up. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but, you know, it, it became very personal at that point. You know, I remember because before that, my only idea of, of you know, extraterrestrial life was like the great gazoo from the Flintstones or some silly thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And here, you know, my mom is, is speaking with authority and knowledge that this is not something that she heard about. You know, her sister, my aunt, was asking her because she thought that she would know and my mom said that, as far as I know, this sounds like this could very well have happened. Wow. This could very well have happened. I, I don't think that, that these people are lying. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I think that's one of the one of the side effects. I think of there was a it was a progression where uh, you know I was I realized one day, all right, so I'm I'm I fully accepted that there's these craft flying in our airspace and that they're real and that uh, and uh, the, the evidence is overwhelming that these things are real. And then I had to go to think Then I had to sort of take myself aside and have a word with myself and say, all right, well, if that's real, uh, why are you so uh, slow to believe in the abduction phenomenon? Um, How is that a big leap of faith to go from these craft are in our airspace? They're piloted by somebody and oh, they're and they're 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 picking people up and and uh, having a look at them Uh, because of. It, it would seem almost less believable that they weren't doing it. I, uh, you know, it's here like, for a reason. And, yeah. and uh, people say, well, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, that would cause panic. They'd probably shoot at them. There would be, you know, it's, it would be partisan, whoever happened to be the mm-hmm. president at the time. But that it's this one on one contact thing that's going on. And I think that they, uh, it's shocking. I mean, Dr. John Mack was a PhD that, that studied this phenomenon uh, early on, uh, the abduction uh, visitation phenomenon. And he, he used the, the term ontological shock. And that, that is what people are left with um, when they've had an experience. And a lot of people have experiences. I mean, I, I had one myself. I, I, I was... Know, yeah, if we want to talk about that, about that I would, too, yeah, we'd love to. If you're, if but, you're, if you're willing, I mean, to talk I, about I it. but Paul was saying, okay, when Paul Heineck was on, I'm sorry, I mean, to talk over you. Oh, oh no, please but, but, talk, talk over, talk me. over him, talk over uh, him. Uh, no, yeah. no, no, we insist, but, but um, but uh, Paul was, was saying that 
with his other, you know, that, that he hadn't seen a UFO and actually he did. He, you, you wound up reminding him. Yeah. Dr. Heineck did actually see a UFO and I believe he saw one again when he was in a, a flight in a plane, he thought it might've been a UFO. But he was saying that it's better if if a if a researcher is just a, just a straight ahead scientific researcher without that you know personal background, and that's the way that I you know the way that I when I went into this I had no idea that I would wind up having an experience myself, uh, and and I I thought the same way. Well, that you know after I did have an experience, I didn't tell people because. And there's the ridicule factor. I'm I'm a researcher, you know. I'm I'm a field investigator, and and maybe people will not take me as seriously if I start talking about alien abduction. You know, it's like the skit on Saturday Night Live where, you know, well, yeah, they took me, and then they did this horrible thing, and you know, you 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 don't, you know, people tend to look at you funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I did have an experience where, and and my mom, you know, she told me about an experience she had when she was 16 years old with an intelligently controlled, pretty much like a foo fighter. So the band got their name from a UFO that people were seeing during the world war two. Uh, they would follow our planes. In fact, my dad was a B 17 tail gunner and he said, Oh yeah, we saw those things as some German secret weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And and Germans were saying it was our secret weapon. But my mom was, uh, she was getting ready to go to sleep. And she and her sister, the same one that was arguing about Look Magazine, they would sleep on the screened in porch. They lived in Iowa, uh, Muscatine, Iowa is where my mom grew up. And uh, her sister was already asleep. My mom was kind of on her elbows and she hears this buzzing sound like a hive of bees. And she looks over and she said that it was about the size of a beach ball and it was just pure sparks. And the thing came right through the screen intact, went and hovered over her sister at first, just hovered there. And she was sleeping soundly. And then it came over to my mom. She said that it was like off and it had eyes it was just right in front of me and it just sat there like it was looking at me or something and then it went back through the screen um my mom said that she got up and she ran through the door you know opened the door and ran after it and it was like waiting for her and the the neighbors adjoining cornfield (laughs) there's a good science fiction you know Mm -hmm. image for you you know but there it was. It was waiting for my mom about 30 feet in the air. And she said she got there and she's looking up at it. And it raised up a little bit higher. And then it popped like a soap bubble and smelled like ozone. Although mm-hmm. she used the word, she said, it smelled like your electric train transformer, girl. But she told me, you know, this was now she she didn't make the connection that this was some kind of intelligent life. She always referred to it as her ball lightning incident. But the problem with that is, is it was acting intelligently and it was waiting for her and it was looking at her sister. And, and I think that this this phenomenon is personal. We, we may wish that it was just, you know, like us studying, you know, lions in the wild or something. And I guess, you know, there is similarities, you know, we'll, we'll tranquilize a lion, we'll tag their ear and monitor them and see how their health is and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, 
when when I first became a field investigator for MUFON, uh, I tried this thing that they call CE5 meditation. And now I'm not like a big proponent. I mean, there are people that will charge you to do this and don't don't pay anybody to do that for me because you can do it yourself. But I had meditated as, as a youth and, and I knew how to do it. And I just, I thought, what the heck? You know, I'm going to try it. I didn't really take it very seriously. But I started sending the message out, I want to meet you. And in fact, you can actually abduct me if you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, well, I don't, you know, I would not encourage anybody to try that because it worked. Now, we were living in Burbank, California at the time on the Chandler bike path, if you know where that is. It's oh, a very busy well, area. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's not rural. It's, you know, busy there. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I had closed a MUFON case I was working on. It was about midnight, went upstairs. You know, we had like a little bungalow bedroom. Uh, I'm, I'm on my elbows, kind of like my mom described that she was when she saw her, her, you know, foo fighter. Um, and, uh, this weird thing was happening. Our room started filling with light. It wasn't coming from a source. It wasn't coming from outside. It wasn't coming from, you know, a light downstairs and, you know, it wasn't, you know, a smartphone or anything like that. It was just the slow slowly grew brighter and brighter in our room. My wife was dead to the world asleep, just like my aunt was when my mom had her experience. Um, I'm a scientifically minded man. Uh, I, But I, for some reason, it was just like, oh, it was all copacetic. It was fine. You know, it was, you know, I, I it was like I felt peaceful. Um, we had a cricket problem in the rafters. It's an old house. Well, you couldn't hear any crickets, couldn't hear any external sounds. It was like a quiet room in a recording studio. Um, time became strange. It became, it's like a minute to an hour didn't matter. Um, there is this object that I saw that was where our, in front of our television set, in front of our bed almost like this little spinning wheel or, you know, it was just this sepia colored seven foot across spinning motion that I was watching. I mean, I was awake. I wasn't asleep, you know, this wasn't and you're, paralysis. you're saying to yourself at this point, given all of your history with research and no, what is, I mean, what, what's happening? I was a new researcher at the time. Oh, okay. I, well, I'm just I, saying what's happening in your mind. Are you, are you thinking this is what this I is? Or are you thinking? I wasn't under my own cognizant control at that point. Okay. I mean, when this happens, you're very, you're, you're subject to, you're, you're highly suggestible. And, sure. and I, I realized that I couldn't move it was the first thing that started scaring me. All right. So I'm trying to move. I'm trying to, but there I am. I'm, I, I had pillows stacked behind my back because I kind of like to sleep that way. Semi recumbent, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm a, a retired nurse. I used to take care of quadriplegics. I did that for 35, 40 years almost. And I, I, you know, retired a couple years ago. Land that I would want to be is a quadriplegic, and I was that's what I was. I couldn't move a muscle. 
um, the spinning thing that was in front of us, it was like somebody had poured cream into a cup of coffee. It opened up from the center outwards. It was very bright. I could see distance. Our neighbor's house was like 10, 15 feet away. So there was no room to park a spaceship there. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. No room whatsoever. Uh, but somehow or another, I'm, I'm, I was just totally accepting of it. It was just, the, this was just the state of mind that, that they got me into. Um, now I watched these, you, you'd call them the small grays, maybe three and a half to four feet tall. Uh, they draw towards me. They didn't walk up. It was almost as though somebody was pulling them up on a carpet or something. They just pulled up to me. And uh, they took blood from me. Uh, it was very methodical. It was almost like a surgical team. The, the four of them moved in tandem, and, and there was no communication that I could hear, no, uh, no verbiage. Um, and it took about 15 minutes to do what they were doing. And I was trying to make contact. I was trying to speak to them in my mind. And I, it was nothing, no, no answer, no nothing. What are you trying to say? <laughs> well, I was like, why are you doing this and help? And, you know, what, what's, what is this about? You know? And, and I was scared because they were taking a lot of blood from me. I was oh afraid God. they were going to. Now I, I knew enough about the experience or phenomena. I had read Bud Hopkins and a few other of, of these researchers that usually somebody, if they're in this situation, they're given a calming message but I wasn't getting anything. There was no telepathy coming back. And so I'm st I was afraid that I would be like one of those exsanguinated cows that they find by the road, you know, because I wasn't getting like a message. You're going to be okay. But I was okay. You know, I mean, they, they, I felt very weakened. I, I felt lethargic. Like I had given too much blood at the blood bank. They drew away the same way that they drew in. They just went backwards. They kept staring at me. They didn't really move. They just kept on looking at me. Big black eyes, you know, and it's like, you know, beware if you look into the abyss, you know, because the abyss may look back. Well, that's what it felt like. Um, there's just a very, just a power in that eye to eye contact when they make that. And I think that they use that. Um, I just saw them draw backwards. The, the hole in the wall came back together and, uh, the light was dimming. It was getting dark in our room again. And as soon as I could move, I started shaking my wife and yelling and screaming. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. And you know, I, I don't even remember what I said, but I'm sure it was aliens and took right. my blood and, my wife's reaction was, oh, my God, you have joined this crazy UFO group. Is this the sort of thing that I have to look forward to? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I went into like a fetal position. I was just confused. I didn't know what to think about it. I didn't know. It was embarrassing. You know, I mean, my own wife thought that I'd had a mental breakdown. Not luckily, but two nights later. The shoe was on the other foot. Uh, I was dead asleep, and my wife is shaking me awake. Oh, my God. And, again, our room was flooded with light with no source. I mean, light doesn't work like that. You have a source. The mm -hmm. photons go out. and uh, but, but this was the same thing. 
and she's she starts pacing by the bed. I've never seen her do that before ever. You know, my wife has a lot of composure to herself, but she was very aggravated, very upset. And she goes, oh, my God, Earl, you need to tell your little friends they need to leave us the fuck alone. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, I got my F-bomb in there. That's yeah. usually well, that was a that. good one. That was yeah. that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. She said, you, you, you know, you need to tell your little friends. Now, I didn't tell her what they looked like. All right. I didn't say anything. Right. I was I was embarrassed. She thought that I'd gone nuts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't sign up for this, she said, you know. Two nights after that, we both woke up. This time, the light was coming from outside our house. We go to the window. There's like God's own spotlight shining down on our house in the middle of Burbank. You know, this I mean, a, it wasn't in the news. A third, this is a third, a third night. Trifecta of strange nights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is when I found out that the, the phenomena, it's not just some distant thing that's, you know, tagging our ears or whatever, but there's this deep interest. And I think that it's, it's personal. And, and I think that they do this from person to person rather than in mass that would maybe cause us to rebel or, you know, riot in the streets or, you know, turn it into a religion or any number of the human ways that we react to, you know, the ineffable out there. I think that this one-on-one thing is, is how they operate. Mm-hmm. To me, it seemed like it was this horrible, scary thing after it had happened, but I started noticing that my empathy had been changed. I started feeling people's feelings. When, when people would tell me their experience or stories, suddenly I was feeling it. I, I could feel their fear or their joy or their, you know, it was right there. Um, I also started experiencing synchronicities, which uh, Carl Jung came up with that term, but it technically means a meaningful coincidence. And it happens all the time. I mean, we were talking about your friend, uh, CJ, who's now working as my field investigator. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a synchronicity. We we do any connection and suddenly we find out that, you know, one of your dear friends from the 1990s is now like my brand new field investigator. She took the test and she did beautifully and yes, she's going to start getting cases. Yes. You know, and and soon. yes. And that occurred just before we had, we had uh, gotten you to agree to be on this, this, this uh, stream tonight, which is weird, uh, huh? which none of us knew. Yeah. I'm used to this stuff now, you know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I try not to take it for granted, but it's just kind of part and parcel of this phenomenon. They're not yeah. here to do air shows. They're here to change humanity. I believe. I think yeah. they're, well, and they're and, trying you know, to and, get and us to change. They, they may have accidentally kickstarted some religions in the past. So maybe they're more on guard <laughs> against that. Maybe, right. they've, they've, maybe they've seen how badly we handle religions. Oh. Um, so uh, they're a little more. What has been now. and and I, that's I find that amazing on so many levels. And thank you for sharing it. Um, yeah. I, and I think it's important for people mm-hmm. to obviously share them. And I know that's such a primary part of your work. Uh, you know, is is being uh, someone just mm-hmm. to listen, right? Just to mm-hmm. just to hear yes. them and yeah. say like, okay, yeah, exactly. And the similarities. Uh, to my friend's story is is so is so interesting and the and the same feelings and the same um I think that is as scary as it is because I agree with you the intimacy of this is alarming yeah. it is it's and, not the 
you know, something in, uh, you know, in a distant quasar, uh, you know, <laughs> that all these things you have to think about mathematically to make it, it's this, it's the closeness and proximity that is, um, I, I think a, a growing consensus building around this idea of maybe we're sharing space maybe with them that, it, you know, or maybe they're just much more next door than we can perceive even, but the, idea of this yeah this one-on-one right because so many people just have someone sitting laying sleeping next to them not having the same experience you know not aware um and (laughs) that is that's just that's just one of the crazy parts of it and also as tom's friends had and and you i mean your story too there's a multi-generational aspect i was gonna say uh, it's multi-generational, yeah. Yeah. Well, the fact that a your mother times, has that experience, and then some, and then another synchronicity that her that her career path takes her into yeah contact. With I this know that's so fascinating. You know, it's wild. Um, huh? Yeah, and, and I so, see this in cases. You know, the, you know, I'll, I'll ask people sometimes. Yeah, well, were either of your parents in the military or in any special access programs themselves? And you'd be surprised how often I hear that. And, you know, and I think that, uh, I think that it's just, I think there's concern for us. Um, I think that things have ramped up more recently because here we are, our technology is way up here, you know, but we're still acting like warriors i mean we're kind of a warrior caste uh species i mean war follows humanity that's that that's you know our technology i mean that that's uh, even even like the the ufo technology that could make our lives easier you know whether whether that's like um something that would replace petroleum being based of, of fortunes and, and, and how we get around and operate and stuff that would, would change, you know? And, uh, I think that there's CERN that once we get out there, that we're going to become star Wars instead of star Trek. Yeah. Mm. I think that we're a dangerous species. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is perhaps what's going on is that people are being changed in a court way, in a personal way. Um, and it changes you. I mean, people, whether they, you know, have this benevolent experience or something that was scary, like what I had, um, that you're left with, or it engages certain gifts, I think, that that humans are probably born with, but we are kind of a disabled race. I mean, uh, all these other, you, you hear um, contact reports, and there's always telepathy going on. And it seems to be the way that the communication happens. Um, you can't lie to somebody if you're telepathic. You can't yeah. rob them blind. You can't steal from them and you can't tell them some BS story. Um, so how much differently would humanity be if we could actually read each other's minds? Um, yeah. I think that, it, you know, it would change everything. Or even just the, as you discussed, an elevated sense of empathy. Mm-hmm. That you know, if oh, it yeah. isn't telepathic, but if we just if we had uh, slightly more uh, capacity for empathy, how it would change yes. us? Just and, a sense of what's going on, you know, and, yeah, what, what people are em- dealing what, with. Yeah, and also speaking of empathy, so you, it, I would seems to me like that you would lean towards the notion that these creatures that are visiting, uh, assuming they're visiting, 
um, <laughs> are, are yeah, it uh, might be their planet, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know that they are, that they are, that they have some form of empathy with us as a species. Yes, I, I believe so. There's a, yeah, there's, cause I, I, but I just watched recently a debate, uh, between John Mack and Bud Hopkins Mm, um, that must have been fun. It was very interesting, but they had very different <laughs> views about the uh, about the aliens. Uh, yes. John Mack did see this as uh, something that could be a uh, uh, in and in, in ways uh, not just benign but beneficent um, yeah. in deal in in their contact with human beings. And Bud Hopkins was just, I want these fuckers <laughs> gone. These fuckers should <laughs> yeah. just leave us alone. Uh, they're we'll dark. They're, out. Yeah. I so who do you report something like this to? All right. When I had my experience, I you know had my state director at the time, and he was kind of some bolts guy back then. Oh, he's changed, and he knows it's it's different. You know, the, the, a lot can happen in seven and a half years. But uh, I I told him I confided in him. I drove all the way out to San Luis Obispo where he lived to tell what happened, and he was kind of like rolling his eyes. That was the last thing he wanted to hear was the, his new field investigator uh, is right. saying that he had, had, had an alien uh, contact experience. I, then I call, I got a hold of Peter Robbins. I knew him from social media and he was Bud Hopkins old uh, assistant, right? He did. Uh, he, he worked with, with Bud for people cases. listening. Let's just can, what's the very quick Bud Hopkins uh, re, you know, who, who was Bud sure. Hopkins? We've discussed John Mack. He was a psychiatrist at Harvard. In the later stage of his life, he took on the abduction issue as a real, look like close to heart issue. And it and ex, had a Galileo-like experience with Harvard where they were like, you could better knock this off. So John Mack was mm-hmm. an amazing scholar on that front. And Bud Hopkins was... Bud Hopkins was one of the first guys that went and, and studied the abduction phenomenon. But Bud had kind of a um, now I you know from what I hear and 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 that that he like the criteria the, the the evidence that he was getting was was that this was uh, no good that they are to take advantage of humanity and maybe some of them do I don't think that this is all just one thing right I think okay. there are different races involved and even within the same race I mean what would you say if you you know is humanity a good and yeah <laughs> okay everybody's the same absolutely yeah. yeah i don't have to really go any further so how you know so but i think that bud hopkins was more of an alarmist like david jacobs was another one of his contemporaries yeah. like where they ten, felt times like, 10 yeah yeah they felt <laughs> it was oh yeah i know that where it was an invasion but I, you know, John Mack was kind of, he, he had equanimity to himself and had more of a balance where he, I, I, he, I don't think that he thought that it was all good, that they were all saints, because uh, I don't know that that's, that if anybody's a, a saint, you know, all the time. But he uh, he also felt that well uh, you know he just he knew that this was was deeper and 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 more convoluted than the way that I think Bud Hopkins was approaching it and and I love Bud Hopkins' work and and I would never say anything against him or Peter Robbins Peter is just one of my dearest friends but I think that you know. Peter, it was it was when I talked with him about what I had gone through, 
It was, was that I should ask, did, did I kind of cover the Bud Hopkins? Yeah, no, I think so. Well I think it's important. He was yeah. somebody that was a, a real yeah. pioneer in the abduction yes. and study of abductions. Yes. Yeah. And he developed, he developed a, a very good methodology too for, yeah. for he did, for he studying. did. And he, he used, he was the guy that started the hypnotic regression uh, or, or he kind of, that became his forte. Other people were using that method to get to locked memories for instance, I mean, my wife doesn't remember anything that happened except for our room flooding with light three nights wow. in a row. Yeah, everything else is like scrubbed from her memory. But thank God she remembers that much because at least she knows I didn't go insane or something. Or yeah, lie. But uh, but anyway, Peter, uh, he he was helpful, but I still felt like something had happened to me and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I kept it to myself. I, I, I didn't share it with anybody for, for a few years. I would tell my new field investigators because I felt like I owed them that little heads up that, you know, if you poke at the phenomenon, be careful. It may poke back, you know, and don't, don't sort of a hitchhike, to like almost a, like a hitchhiker. I mean, the, that mm -hmm. phenomenon from Skinwalker Ranch and other things, you know, like if you're, yeah. Um, that, There's that dark elements sense. to this phenomenon too. I mean, it's not all, you know, Reese's pieces, you know, I mean, yeah. it's got, uh, it's, it's got some dark elements to it as well. Like, yeah. I mean, like we do, nothing is simple, you know, yeah. and uh, certainly I think, not. I think as, as I say, I think there are some Reese's monkeys that lived in labs <laughs> that have some dark tales to tell too. <laughs> It was Reese's Pieces from the yeah, movie. They got e. me. You know, <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But it, it but, just but, the thought of a Reese's monkey to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you know. I mean, that's kind of what we are. I mean, what mm. happens when you uplift, you know, primates? You, you you go to the monkey cage, and it's kind of an interesting thing, and it's kind of, you know, a distillation of of what we are and i think that there are visitors at least this is my feeling i think that the guys who are in charge are, are trying to change us so that we're ready for what's coming up and that we're not a danger to the rest of the universe you know that we're not going to be marauders um i think star trek is perfect fine with them but star wars is anathema they don't want that was that something that it felt like it was uh, was there a clarity to that post experience for you in regards to that not that there was any explicit messaging because they didn't there was to you or try to communicate with you but is that does that takeaway feel more kind of profound to you i uh i i kind of i knew kathleen martin who's betty and barney hill's niece here's another synchronicity i mean you know I, I was like eight, nine years old when that look magazine came into the house. And I, the first time I ever felt the willies standing there and felt like the universe was caving in on me because it's not the great gazoo. They might stick a needle on your navel. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, I'd, I'd send a few cases to Kathleen Martin. She, she was heading up uh, MUFON's experience or resource team at that time with uh, Dr. George Medich and Kathleen Martin, Dr. Don Dondery and a few other people uh, had, had uh, because they saw the need because people would have face-to-face -face experiences and they would just have confusion, fear. There was no place for them to go, no place where people would listen to them, you know, and take them seriously. So, um, so, I, I told of Kathleen and I asked her if we could talk 
and she went to town. She was speaking at the alien con thing in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the first one they had Wearing the for lunch. And I told her my story and, and she was telling me things that absolutely made sense. I mean, I finally felt like other people have gone through this. I'm not the only one I'm, you know, and, and she's listening to me with empathy and uh, not so much advice, just, Again, you know, there's a catharsis in getting to tell your story and being taken seriously and not being ridiculed or laughed at. Um, about an hour talking with her and she was sharing, you know, that she had personal experiences too. See, it is generational. Yeah. Uh, she's she's met them as well. Um, I I told her, you know, I might like to join the ERT. You know, I it, it, could I like maybe get interviewed or something for that. And the she ERT, said, well, the ERT is Experience a Resource Team. Is okay. is what I. That's kind of. I mean, I do a few things at MUFON, but I think that that my heart is very very much into that. Yeah. And Kathleen's reply to me was, well, what do you think we were doing the last hour? Welcome to the ERT. You know? <laughs> and uh, that was about four years ago. And I took to it like a fish to water. And and I started telling my story then, too. I felt more comfortable doing it. I felt, you know, that there it's worth it if people want to lap me or, you know, do the Saturday Night Live thing. That, that That's fine. But if it helps other people, yeah. um, that that's I- what's important. I've written some sketches I regret too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's I, I this, would have too. You know, there's this uh, uh, like this absurdity. I mean, I remember when Whitley Strieber's book came out, and it was, of course, this. You know, it it struck a nerve. Of course, it struck a nerve. You know, this this is. You know, there were probably so many people with similar experiences, and that was a harrowing tale. Uh, it was extremely exposing. It was a very, and uh, and I think wrongly sort of created this idea that somehow people want, you know, coming forward with these stories is somehow, uh, you know, a benefit to, to people or that somehow there's some, you know, po- like profit to it. When in fact, uh, you know, it's, it can be very shameful to some people. It's just assault mm-hmm. in general is, you know, is such a personal hard thing to discuss, much less an assault by something that, you know, is, is so, outside of our you know experiences or you know it's a double kind of whammy and and in our what will be our subsequent episode with with my my friend gene um i think all of this will be such a kind of you know reassurance for her um you can you can equate it to the rape trauma in a lot of ways i mean i mean i know whitley streber describes his experience as a as a rape experience um but some that, people but, have a good experience, though. I mean, I, there's yeah. one gentleman who, who, uh, he was a photographer for the national parks. And I have to be careful because I'm not gonna, I, I, I have to redact people's names and stuff. But, um, he was out in the middle of nowhere in the Badlands on top of this pinnacle about 150 feet up in the air, nowhere to run. And this, flying saucer comes up and there were three tall blonde beings that kind of star trekked right up there with him on this ledge and and that he never felt such love in his life that was just radiating from them and that the the woman told him that that he had been their charge that they had been looking out for him all of his life 
that he had a purpose here on earth. And, and for him, the trauma was, was that when they left, they right. left, they <laughs> didn't come back and he missed his, you know, cosmic family. Um, and I've, I've heard similar stories, you know, mm-hmm. many, you know, so it's not always a scary thing. Uh, maybe I got that because of my mom being part of the military industrial complex, because that is what she came from. I think what makes sense is something you touched on before, which is, uh, you know, we are in a very, very big universe. Of course, there's life. Of course, it's it's mathematically impossible that there isn't life. Mm-hmm. And it's mathematically also likely impo- impossible that there isn't just a multitude of life. And that what might be the disappointing part is we might be on the low end of the tech spectrum. <laughs> and there's this teeming world uh, if, if when people you know here or those that have heard our conversation with your friend Paul Hynek, um, you know we've talked about different chemical gateways to potentially <laughs> seeing entities. There's all sorts of you meditate. You believe you kind of manifested it through meditation, um, mm-hmm. and it's these access points to what could be just a a multitude of species, mm-hmm. life, technological life that is just um, you know. Uh, probably yeah, checking us been, out and with different agendas and different ideas of what to do with us probably yeah well i think we can tie it into david yeah. Gresh's uh revelations because he clearly states uh non-human intelligences in the plural <laughs> yes yeah uh so uh you know I it think, runs uh, a gamut i mean yeah. you hear you know go go and read like uh, uh you know j- i mean even just reading Heineck's book um that there's uh, just so many, it seems like different species and subspecies. And, and I don't know if, you know, sometimes I don't even know if we're actually in the actual ETs. I mean, I think they may use avatar bodies or something because right. you don't see them in spacesuits. I mean, this place it must have, you know, bacteria and, and, and viruses that, that could kill them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you know, I, I mean, I, I try to be open-minded about all of, all things, everything that's, you know, encapsulated with this giant field of, of ufology. Um, I'm very careful about not becoming dogmatic about one idea or, you know, and I mean, even, you know, I tend to want to think that they're all space brothers, but they're not. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, 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 you know, kind of, uh, you know, mulligan stew or something, minestrone. There's, like a bunch of different uh, species that we're dealing with. And I think that perhaps there are different motives, different reasons for visiting us and, and why we, but, but I do think that the good guys are in charge because here we are. It's, it's, you know, 75 years since the Roswell event and all that. And still humanity is humanity's greatest threat still. You know, we're our own. Yeah. We've seen the enemy and he is us. It's like the old Pogo mm-hmm. cartoon from back when. And, and it's either nuclear weapons or social media. I'm not sure which will get us first. Uh, <laughs> it's the AI, Dave. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Know, yeah. Like, it's that's also passe, these threats, yeah. you know, it's well, like it's, we, we need well, new ones, you know. Well there, well, there was recently there was that that uh, that uh, article you sent me, Tom, that was out on Reddit the, of somebody claiming to be a a uh, biologist uh, studying the alien uh, bodies. 
and saying these, mm-hmm. you know, and in that story saying, you know, we don't know if any of this is true, but the hypothesis that they are uh, bioengineered, mm-hmm. basically uh, machines uh, that are, that are, I mean, you I've know, heard that. You know. Yeah, and, this and was I, a this was a post that uh, uh, I speak as a writer was if this if it was fiction and could very easily absolutely no way to to know whatever it was the best it was just like chef's mm-hmm. kiss sci fi writing it was the most mm-hmm. explicit medical breakdown of someone who had supposedly yeah. worked on these bodies with wow. with genomics and DNA and ex- explicit. Uh, science writing that would take me months yeah. and years to duplicate. Um, it was the ultimate LARP live action role play. If, if in fact that's what it was, but it's a fascinating read and, and it, and it made a lot of sense because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, well, you know, you could, you could send something that may be somewhat alive or somewhat, you know, kind of um, to, to deal with our craziness and, you know, and, and uh, l- lower the personal threat uh, for yourself. But um, yeah, I do believe that it's interesting that, you know, even though we all have our echo chambers now, like the more I'm studying UFOs, the more UFO stuff seems to come, you know, <laughs> and yet, and yet I do believe there is something about the, the AI thing that that has arisen. So kind mm. of, suddenly feels like and now is sort of all around and ubiquitous and um and is also very threatening so i you know we could misuse it so easily that uh that could have stirred up you know more interest or that could be why mufon is a little busier and having more conversations and secret locations with congress and um i think there's there's just this this conversation has to continue we would love to talk with you again. Um, I think this was just amazing. And thank you for sharing your experience. And there's just there's so many different, I need to, I, I mean, we could do a whole episode on your mom working for Howard Hughes. Like I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's incredible. And um, um, I'm so grateful to have you on Earl and our first live stream. Oh, is that um, your mom? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. There you go. What was her um, name? Betty. Grace Anderson, uh, her maiden wow. name was Maiden. You can imagine how, you know, talking wow. about Social Security, whoever, your mother's maiden name. Maiden, well, I, I see. Know. I see where you got your looks from. <laughs> yeah, she's beautiful. No, she's beautiful. Hey, my and you're mom. beautiful. Oh, okay. I thought I you were mean, insulting a, my mother. She's a little, no, she's, she's saying she's you're a, a handsome more man. Beautiful than you. yeah, you're <laughs> no, you're a handsome man. You've got, no, oh, she's, she's a, a classic features. beauty. And she's, she looks, she's, yeah, she's beautiful. Well, I'd love to come back and, and, and best of luck to you guys and your endeavor. And I, I'm absolutely behind you. And, and it was an absolute pleasure uh, being on your, your show. So, yeah, thanks. Um, uh, yeah. Hopefully sometime we can, I, I'd love to visit with you and I'd love to learn more about MUFON and it's, yes. and it's, go get a beer sometime yeah, or we'll do it. Know, dinner or whatever. Yeah, we'll do our beer. Word. We'll do our beer episode. We'll, we're yeah, going to have to beer you know, but... episode. Inv- invite <laughs> Paul Heinick because he'll, yeah, he'll well, then it's a little more than beer. No GMT though. No yeah, GMT. I can't. I've already <laughs> just your conversation alone, not in any way to make light of your episode. But my wife is going to be like you. I, I'm going to have a whole co- now. I'm going to have to have a whole conversation with her about you know about discussing UFOs and issues like because I don't want that to happen. I was like, well, I won't. I won't <laughs> meditate. 
No, um, don't invite them in. You're not yeah, supposed no. to invite the vampires in, right? That's like, yeah. you know, phenomenology I, 101. But I just I find that know. aspect so fascinating. And so that's something that we, you know, hopefully can discuss it. at a, not one another note. time. Mm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Earl. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, Earl. Uh, just let me say, if anybody, if if this has run a chord, you know, for you and, and it sounds familiar to you, you've experienced something like this, just go to MUFON, M-U-F-O-N dot com. On the front is page, it'll say a report a craft or report a being. And uh, you could just, you can do both, actually. They go right. kind of hand in hand. So. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Thank All you right. so much. And thank you. Uh, I, I want to remind our audience, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at really underscore podcast underscore official subscribe to us on YouTube on the stampede podcast network. That's the stampede podcast network and subscribe to our audio version everywhere. Podcasts are available. Um, Dave, thank you, buddy. Mm-hmm. This thank was, you. This well, was great. Oh, and just in time, because my my visitor, which is a benignly enlarged prostate, is making yeah, demands right, That's right now. Love so that. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I I'm sense that out. could be happening. I'm going to check out now while my desk is still is still dry. Yes, uh, before this becomes a real live stream. Yeah. Right. So okay, I'll, I'll let you close up with with Earl Tom, and I'll I'm going to okay. go. You just run, just run away. <laughs> we don't want to see it. Thanks again, Earl. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs>